If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, we're going to kick off a new series here on the fruit. It's singular. We'll talk about that in a second. Has anybody ever said fruits of the Spirit? It feels like it should have an S on. It should, should be plural. It, it is not. Um, but we are kicking off a new series, and uh, it's going to be fun. The reason, a couple of reasons that we're going to do this series. One is um, summertime, it just makes a lot of sense. We're going to go back and forth. We have a couple of special uh, World Vision weekend, our 125th some different times, where we won't be part of the series, so they're standalone enough. We can do that. The other piece is this is as important as it gets. This, this is truly as important as it gets. So let me start with a question. If you were in a room of your closest friends, people who know, your coworkers, your neighbors, whatever it might be, and you said to them, I give you permission to gossip about me when I leave. This is good gossip. We can talk about it here. You give a group of people permission to talk about you when you left the room. What would they say? What type of words would describe you and your character? Would they talk about the things you talk about the most? Maybe you're all about politics. Maybe you're all about your kids. Maybe you're all about whatever it might be. Or would they say some character deficiency type things? Man, that, that Brad is so serious. That Brad's a little angry. The gossip, whatever the word. How would someone actually... Not in your idealized state, but how would someone actually describe you if you gave them permission to? And I don't know about you, my, I remember about 20 years ago, being at the funeral of my grandpa Jackson, and to AT, almost everybody that talked about him over the weekend, and then how they talked to him about him at his funeral was, this was a guy who just lived out the fruit of the Spirit. If there ever, other than Jesus, if there ever was a living embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit, it was Grandpa Jackson. And I don't know about you, that's what I want. I want my life to be described in that type of way. Not he was powerful, not he had a big church, not he had blank, blank. No, there was love and joy and peace. There was something so good and that it could only come from a different place. And that's why we talk about this type of thing. Because it truly is the most important. So what we're going to do this morning, give you a little overview. We are going to give an overview of the book of Galatians. We're going to talk about why use the imagery of fruit. This is an interesting picture that we're given. And then we're going to look at the first two, love and joy. So we're going to go about 50, 60 minutes here of preaching time. And uh, there's no football game on this afternoon. You'll be okay. Uh, maybe a half hour. Might go a little longer than normal. It'll be okay. So uh, let me give you an overview of Galatians. Paul in the book of Galatians is essentially saying this one thing over and over again, that those who believe in Jesus Christ are now free. For some of them, they're free from their pagan past and all that went with that. For those who were Jews, they were free from the condemnation of the law, language he uses. Neither of those things could provide freedom. And so, so Paul points again and again and again towards the cross of Christ and says, faith in Jesus Christ is what brings along freedom. He says in verse 13 of chapter 5, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware 
of destroying one another. The turn on its head idea around freedom here is that freedom actually expresses itself in serving the other. In our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant denomination, we have a small centered set of theology that we sort of say you have to buy into. And we do that because it's all around Christ, it's around Scripture, but it's small because we want to be able to have grace and unity in places where we disagree. But one of those six affirmations that's in the center is around freedom. That we affirm that we are free in Christ. It says this in a little pamphlet that we have out in the lobby. It says this around the freedom in Christ. This freedom is a gift of God in Christ and it manifests itself in a right relationship with God and others. It's not a private gift to be used selfishly, but it is given to serve the community and the world. Because often we, use, we, we hear the word freedom and we think that it's a license to do what we want, right? Where the reality is freedom is the gift to be able to serve those around us. It's the whole point of what Paul is saying, that life of faith in the risen Jesus, dependence on the Spirit, we'll talk about that. The Spirit is simply, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, it's the presence of God within us. And that life of faith and the dependence on the Spirit begins to produce this fruit that comes out of us. And that's Paul's point, is the, the law will no longer condemn the pagan past that some of them were coming out of, it will not rule them. The Spirit is the one that will actually begin to produce a different kind of life. So that's an overview of Galatians. And it comes then, our, our question comes, why the imagery of fruit? Why does Paul use this imagery of fruit? And it's intriguing. Fruit is in the singular. One of the reasons Paul talks about fruit is it's in opposition to the works of the flesh that were just listed. This plural, works of the, of the flesh, actually divides and hurts relationships. You go down through that list, it destroys, devours, tears apart relationships. The singular fruit that's only expressed through dependence on the Spirit actually unifies when we are living in complete, utter dependence on the presence of God in us, and that fruit is the normative way in which we do life, it actually builds relationships. And that's going to be the whole point of this series. Listen to some of these other passages in Scripture around the idea of fruit. Matthew seven fifteen through 20 says this. Beware of false prophets who have come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good, listen, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Kids in here, write that down on your sheet and talk to mom and dad about it today. It's such an important practical truth. A good tree produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Matthew 12, 33. 
A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Mark 4, 18 and 19, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. This would be a great personal study or a small group study when fruit is not being produced in our lives through the power of the Spirit on the inside of it, take uh, inside of us, take these three things and more than likely one of them is getting in the way. The worries of life, the lure of wealth, or the desire for other things. John 15, 5 says this, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are, are gathered in a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And here it is. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Jump down to verse 16. It says this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Philippians 1 verse 11 says this. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. This fruit of the Spirit is so important, the idea of what is produced coming out of us. And understand this, this is, if we get to the end of this series and anybody has this idea in mind that you can work hard and hard and hard and somehow you can produce the fruit on your own, we've missed the whole point of this series. We've missed the point of the text. We cannot do this on our own power. The fruit of the Spirit, for some who think that you're strong and all-powerful and you can accomplish things, you'll either get really prideful or you'll quit. For others, you try to produce the fruit of the Spirit on your own and you can't do it and it ends up in this life of shame and guilt and you know where you've been before with that. The fruit of the Spirit only comes in complete and utter dependence on God. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and dependence on the presence of God that is in you. It's like a Christmas tree. You try on your own, it will look good for a season, but it probably won't last. The point of the fruit of the Spirit is an actual fruit tree that is put in, in the soil that it should be. It's cared for, and year in, year out, produces the fruit that it should. So let's jump into it. Talk about love. Let me give you a definition for love. And it's the word agape. It's the, the big love. It's the, the, the love that we see portrayed in God. Love is this. It's joyfully serving others for their good and not something you get in return. Joyfully serving others for their good and not something you get in return. I talked to my wife yesterday after she got done of uh, grandma's marathon up in Duluth. And uh, probably the thing that she was most excited about was a friend who went with her, um, who probably could have ran a little faster time, um, ran with her the whole time just to help pace her. And that's love. That's joyfully serving something 
for their good and not what you get in return. That's the love that is talked about here. It's not just a fluffy feeling. It's, it's something that we do. Romans 5.5 5 says this, And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Galatians 5 verse 6. For when, you place, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What's important, listen, what's important is faith expressing itself in love. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 again. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is joyfully, joyfully serving others for their good, not what you get in return. And we see it all around. We know when we're in it. It's such a good thing. Yesterday I had the chance to go to a couple of different local uh, festivals. One was livestock up in St. Peter and to see the people that were creating that and putting it together and the artists and musicians, it was love. It was offering something out to people that was just good for their, for their good. And then last night my family and I went to watch a band called Cloud Cult down at uh, the amphitheater thingamajigger with the rocks and Vetterstone, uh, right? There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm getting here, guys. And, uh, but it, it was amazing to see, and, and, and knowing that this band, it was amazing to see them offer this something that was purely for the joy of those around. And how people took that in, and that's love. That we offer up something and we just say, here it is for your good. And if it's Calvary-type love, sometimes we don't benefit, Right? That's what this love is all about. The opposite of love is this. It's relationships driven by fear and driven by self-protection. And they actually lead to the harm of the other person. You know, when you're living in the opposite of Christ-centered love, when it's actually hurting the other. Tim Keller is one of my favorite authors. And he often talks about this idea of counter, what, what gets in the way of us truly knowing and experiencing the gospel. And he talks about counterfeit gods, things that we put up in place of, of who God actually is. And I think the counterfeit gods of love are this. It's affection shown to others for selfish reasons. It's attraction to others for how they make you feel only. It's helping others to feel good about yourself. If those are the gods, then you're not living the fruit of the spirit of love. Joy. Kara. The idea of joy in, in Greek literature had this idea that it was somehow related to contentment, but it was the person who could, could find that, that middle, that golden means in between the extremes of sadness and happiness. It was Bobby McFerrin theology. Anybody remember Bobby McFerrin? A few of you? Don't worry. Be happy. I'm not going to sing it for you. But it was this idea, this, this happiness that somehow we could produce no matter what was going on. But for Paul, that's not it at all. For Paul, joy is not produced by circumstances. It's not produced by momentary pleasures. It's this indwelling of the spirit that puts hope in us in spite of circumstances. 
And it's a hope that looks out to the future and is driven by that, is fueled by that, that says one day all will be right. And I find joy in knowing that no matter what is going on. Amen? That's Christian joy. That's what the Spirit does in us. Definition of joy is this. Finding hope in the beauty of God in our relationship with Christ, even in difficult times of loss and disappointment and pain. Romans 5 verse 2 says this, because our faith, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Romans 5 11. So now we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Then chapter 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but, a, but of living a life of goodness, of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's finding hope and beauty in God and our relationship with Christ in spite of what is going on. The opposite of joy is this. It's this sense of hopelessness. Sometimes it's, it's even a fear of hope. When we, we don't have hope in, in God's future, we have a fear of hope. Like, what, what does it actually bring? I think the counterfeit to joy is this it's excitement, it's happiness that exists only when things are good, leading to mood swings. It's happiness in God, not, it's happiness not in God, but in what God brings. God, I. I'm going to find joy in you when you do these things for me. It's the genie in a bottle type of God. It's not Christian joy. I remember in 1994, I had the chance to go to India. And this is when the country of India at that point was a fourth world country. Believed it would never come out of its poverty. And I had never gone on a trip like this. I was just out of college starting seminary, young youth pastor. Went with a couple of other seasoned pastors and I had this picture in mind that we would get to India and the joy that we brought from the first world because we had a lot, we would give that to them because they would be in despair because they didn't have much. And what I found was the opposite. Followers of Jesus in circumstances that I could never imagine with more joy than I'll ever have. Because of a life of a dependence on the Spirit was producing joy in spite of the circumstances. It was driven by hope in God's eternal future. John 15 verse 11 says this. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Is that a good word? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Followers of Jesus, living lives of love and joy. And I don't know about you, but for me, I grew up a, uh, a great home, but conservative Baptist. We did not talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. I don't know why. I think there was a fear of, the, uh, you know, where are we going to go with this thing? But we have to talk about it. If I'm going to live this completely dependent life on the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit is who I am, I have to understand the spirit, right? In the most basic sense, 
If we're truly rooted, that, that, that imagery of food, if we are rooted in what Christ has done for us, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, forgiveness of sins, all that Jesus is, then the Spirit, the presence of God, has come to live inside of you. And let me say that again, because I, I, I need it. The presence of God is inside of anybody in this room who's put their faith in Christ. That's a big deal, right? Can we just say that? Like God, God's at work in you. And that begins to get exciting for me. And, and then I read a passage like Ephesians 5 verse 18 that you've probably heard before. And it's, don't be drunken with wine. Because that leads to bad things, basically. I'm, I'm doing my own translation. So don't be drunk with wine. If you've ever been drunk or seen somebody drunk, the, 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 the way it affects a person is pretty much all-inclusive, right? But then Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled actually has this idea, the tense it's in is you need it again and again and again and again. Just like someone when they are completely controlled by alcohol, what I'm asking you to do, if you want to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to live the life God has for you again and again and again and again, you need to submit all that you are to the control of the presence of God in you. That's the Holy Spirit. Daily, sometimes hour by hour, is simply saying, God, I don't want to be in charge. I don't want my flesh to be in charge. I don't want the law to be in charge. I want you to be completely in charge, controlling my life, so that the fruit of the Spirit would be the normative way in which people see me and interact with me. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy. Jesus God, if there is anyone that has not had the amazing opportunity to trust you, I pray they would do that now. Whatever point of the journey, God, to fully embrace there's a loving God who comes to us to free us from our sin, to give us a life of true freedom. Not enslaved to ourselves, not enslaved to the flesh, not enslaved to the law, but true freedom in the living God. And then, God, I pray that you would teach us how to constantly be giving over control to your presence in us so that we can be people who are described as loving and joyful. And the list goes on. By your power and for your glory, we pray this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.